Hey guys, what's up? It is week uh, 208. This is the four-year anniversary. Not missed a show, not to brag too much, but let's just hop right into the contest. I'm going to do the drawing here. I had 104 entries. I printed them all out, so all the Patreon picks and all the emails I got, everybody's name is listed. Um, these random randomizer generator things are really buggy, so like even right when you go to it, there's already a number showing. That's not the winner, so I'm going to do it live here. Um, basically, I put everybody's name in. This is for the two 4Ks from Severin, the Alex D. Langlacia movies, and Nosferatu in Venice and Scream in the Streets. So here we go here. Generator. There it is. I'm going to hit generate. And it is number 75 out of 104. Let's look at who that is. I will send it ASAP, especially if you included your address. It'll be much easier. That is Kenneth Grimm. So I have your email. Hopefully I have your information. There we go. So congrats. I will send it out ASAP. And uh, hopefully I'll have some more contests for you guys in the future. I guess we'll start this out with The the Creep Show. Episode 3. Uh, season 2, Episode 3. I know I'm like a week or two behind, but that's just the way I've been doing it. I didn't uh, watch them right when they came on Shutter. Sometimes I'm not right on the stuff. But uh, yeah, so we have two episodes again. Uh, yeah, the first one is a science sci-fi horror one. Uh, Terror in Space, Horror in Space, which I was happy to see. Uh, yeah, this one's really great. And it reminds me of the um basically what we have here is two astronauts who are they're I, they're it's in the future so they have this gravitational device that they made and um they're very kind of higher up astronauts and one is kind of jealous of the other one because he's got a little bit more acknowledgments and he's obviously haunted by his past, you know, bad childhood. Father was an astronaut and nothing was ever too good for him. So basically they realize or they're they're told that they're going to have contact with the alien race and be the first people to meet them. Um, he's not the one chosen. So this immediately kind of drives him crazy and being in space and isolated, he's already starting to slip and hallucinate a little bit with his father and he makes a horrible decision. I'll leave it at that. I don't want to say too much it kind of reminds me of something like silent running or 2001 um there are some great shout outs on the screen monitors make sure you look at the screen monitors there's at least two shout outs i've noticed very obvious ones that are kind of fun but i really like the ending here there's some cool monster effects and very worthwhile very uh just desserts and and exactly what you expect this kind of stuff to happen but it works perfectly fine um i really enjoyed this one good stuff very entertaining yeah so the second one of these two, it's a little bit different, uh, a lot bit different. Uh, it starts off really quirky and really weird and, and silly, and the dialogue's really great. We have this young girl who's full of energy that goes in, and she's talking to her counselor, who, uh, this is in high school, who's played by, um, geez, who is it? Uh, it's the 80s. I can't believe I forgot one of the biggest 80s. Molly Ringwald. There we go. And he's talking. She, she's talking to her. And the dialogue actually had me laughing out loud because she's so neurotic and weird, basically saying, my brother's trying to kill me because of this. And the uh, counselor's like, what are you talking? It's just really good back and forth. Um, as that episode gets further in, uh, we start to realize that there is obviously something going on between a sibling rivalry. It's not exactly what you think. And I thought it lost a little bit of steam in the second act compared to the first. I thought the first act was a little bit better, um, but I still enjoyed it overall, and that first opening 
entertaining, had me laughing about five or six times, so I really loved it. Um, also think this episode was really solid and fun, and I really like the lead in here. Anyways, uh, again, the only thing that held it back was a little bit of the budget constraints, but still, nothing really wrong with it. Really enjoyed it. Uh, very, very fun stuff. That is the Creep Show Season um, 2, Episode 3, uh, well worth your time. I still think that uh, I, all of them have been good so far. I don't know which one is exactly my favorite so far out of this season. Um, yeah, so check it out. Okay, the next one here we have is from Unearthed Films, and this is by Olaf Idenbach. Yeah, this is, uh, you guys know Olaf Idenbach, and, and if you don't, you should, especially if you're interested in Unearthed Films. Olaf Idenbach is kind of a German splatter king. He did stuff like uh, Burning uh, Moon, which is a SOV crazy anthology, amazing movie for what it is. I, I really enjoy that stuff. Black Pass, which is also very cool. And then, of course, Promortis, Lord of the Living Dead, Beyond the Limits. He's just pretty much him and Andres Schnaz, or however you say his name, who did the violent shit movies, are like the two German splatter guys you think of right off the top of your head. They're like the two big ones. So, no reason. <clears throat> this is a strange film. I don't really know how to go about it without spoiling everything completely. But we have this uh, woman, in the very beginning, she's completely nude. And she's like a middle-aged woman. She's not like a young 20-something. So it's a little bit different to have this completely middle-aged woman completely nude. Uh, nudity, of course, is very common in horror films. But uh, she has this kind of strange uh, encounter with the cop. And the cop's telling her not to do some stuff. But she... Uh, tries to commit suicide and basically we take her to the hospital and then we kind of see maybe a flashback or something we're not really sure what's happening and we see her with her child and <clears throat> that she mentioned earlier in the very beginning of the film and uh, then something really tragic happens and, and without spoiling it things get really strange and she ends up going through these weird layers of color and she has this strange character with this weird tentacle mask telling her all these things and starts to like you start to think she's in these different layers of hell and all the colors are representative red is is like uh, you know blood and all this kind of weird body parts and dismemberment are everywhere around and we find out that she's not actually a victim that we possibly thought she could be she's actually you know, something else. And she starts to get into certain things. And like I said, we go through all these layers and she's trying to decide who she is and who what's in her subconscious and try to find, you know, I guess that purity she's looking for. Um, by the end, uh, I, this movie is really kind of strange because the score I would suggest is like super meaning, like heartfelt. And I would think that, um, this is a, a very genuine movie. Like it's not like one where you would watch and they're just like, um, coming off like they're full of shit. Like, I honestly feel like this one is fairly genuine where it's kind of trying to explore these things like that. And it has some heavy subject matter, but although it's, it's just a strange kind of German splatter movie at the same time, so it comes off a little just uneven at times. But I think that's just uh, an, an honest attempt at something in a German splatter movie, which kind of makes it just a little bit strange to me. Uh, I'm not saying that's necessarily a knock, but that's just how it came across. Um, all the people she encountered, it's kind of like Wizard of Oz, were different people in her real life. And at the very end, we do get the reveal. It's a fairly short film. It's only about 78 minutes, and the first five or six minutes are all credits, and I was like, really? We're going to do this super long credit opening scene in such a short film? Kind of threw me off. I wonder if they needed to like kind of pad the time. Um, but the special effects are really good for the kind of splatter film. If you guys are familiar with German splatter, they're usually the effects and the gore is put over the story. This one does have an interesting kind of crazy story at the same time, and it's one that I hadn't hadn't seen, and it's not one people bring up too much with the Olaf Inbach catalog. You always hear Burning Moon. You always hear Promortis. 
and some of the some of the latter ones like Dar Divorce and stuff like that. But this one I hadn't heard much about. I knew it existed, and 2010 is kind of a, a strange time for a lot of these. I knew there was still always these underground movies happening. But on Earth, uh, it's not an amazing looking film. It's a very low budget film. You know what I mean? So uh, these these are gonna look as good as they look. You know, there's HD files and stuff like that, and it's in HD and Blu-ray and everything. But it's not it's not like you're popping in once about a time in Hollywood or something or an old classic that's been remastered from film or anything like that. Um, there is a making of on here, which is relatively short, and an uh, interview with actor Timothy uh, Balm, who, if I'm not mistaken, is the guy in Dead Alive, which completely threw me off that he was in this film. Uh, yeah, so if you're looking for a completely kind of crazy, uh, extreme gore movie, then look into No Reason. Um, it has a little bit more of a, I, I think would say, you know, a story and somewhat of a message, and the end kind of autopsy scene within the film. Um, it, it goes on for a very long time, but I think it's just kind of trying to show you uh, what happens after death and all that kind of thing and, and, and explore death a little bit. But that's no reason. Uh, if it sounds like it's up your alley, check it out. Okay, next up we have Killer Pinata. That's right. Killer freaking Pinata. And uh, I, I've not seen this one, but I noticed uh, I was watching it and I was like, man, this feels a lot like something that would be made like we would make back in the day or like five or six years ago. And it, it did have some kinship to the movie that I made, Slimy Little Bastards. And they were made in the same year. So I was like, I definitely kind of enjoy this movie's spirit. Right off the bat, I was like, I kind of enjoy what they're going for. Um, this is a, a ridiculous movie. It's called Pil Killer Pinata. So I don't think I've ever seen a movie about a killer pinata. And I am a sucker for movies where they have inanimate objects or things that shouldn't be alive coming to life and killing people. You guys heard me talk about rubber probably a month or so ago. I enjoy rubber. I like that kind of stuff. I don't know what it is. I like the movies where little robots that shouldn't be thinking come to life and start killing people or dolls. I'm just dumb like that. I like it. Okay, so killer pinata is it's definitely self-aware of how ridiculous it is. But it follows the story of this uh, pinata who is sold accidentally. Um, he shouldn't be sold because he, he obviously is evil. He has some sort of weird curse or whatever the hell on him. And you actually get a great backstory of what, what he is um, in, a, in a little cute animated story, which I liked. But anyways, this guy's in a rush. He buys a few pinatas for a birthday party. He doesn't know which one his kid's going to pick. Um, they destroy a couple of the pinatas at the party. And these this live pinata witnesses it. And it upsets him because he's seeing his pinata brethren killed so uh basically the parents leave and there's kids having a party they're older you know college age kids and the pinata strikes his vengeance so um it, it is pretty much exactly what you kind of expect it's it's a low budget film uh, some of the dialogue in the beginning is a little iffy uh, from some of the side players and everything like that but i think the main main cast is pretty solid and pretty fun and i enjoyed them uh it does do a lot of the invent and innovative stuff with the pinata as much as you can do on a super low budget so like the eyes are pretty funny because it's just these two big paper eyes on there and they'll like change from him being normal to angry that's cute it had got a couple good laughs out of me i like that there's this scene where the pinata possesses somebody and it's on their back and somebody's talking to the person and they're all moving like a zombie or frankenstein or something the frankenstein monster don't want to have people correct me on that um so <laughs> and he's like you can see him when they cut to the one angle and he's back there like this it's just really kind of funny and silly and so outrageous that either you're going to be on board or you're going to really not like enjoy your time with it i uh am more of uh the enjoy my time with it and at first i wasn't so sure because i thought like some of the jokes and stuff weren't very funny i thought some of the acting and the, the line delivery wasn't great but as we kind of wheeled down the cast and everything i thought that when we got to the main four and the kind of the lady the ahab of the story i thought that the acting was better there's a really good gag here where um this basically this 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 woman who knows of the evil in the pinata who runs the store 
the pinata store, which is an awesome pinata store, by the way. Um, she ends up having to run around and stop and check all these places where pinatas were sold to stop the chaos, and she has to take the bus. It's such a good gag. It's very funny. It's definitely on purpose. Really funny stuff here. Like here's this person's like life and death. The the fate of the world is at hand here, and she has to stop and wait for a wait for a public transportation, which is very funny because she's in such a rush. She can't do anything about it. Um, yeah, this one is funny, uh, but I do think it's a little overly long, and I know it's not like a super long movie or anything like that. There's a little bit of breath in some of the dialogue and stuff like that that I think probably could be cut up, a little trimmed. And this is a director's cut, so it is shorter. This one is a shorter version, and I had not seen the original version, but this one flowed, uh, besides I said, just a little bit, just a little bit. It flowed pretty well, and I enjoyed myself. There's a bunch of features on here, too. I'll read off the back. A new audio commentary, a look back at Killer Pinata, whatever happened to Killer Pinata 2, the making of Killer Pinata, bloopers, and deleted scenes. 84 minutes long, and uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty fun, and I would check it out if you're into these kind of low-budget, goofy films um, that have a, have a decent amount of heart in them. Yeah, that's Killer Pinata. Do you ever just start falling down a rabbit hole and just not be able to stop and just do like watch like a bunch of ridiculous movies that have somewhat sort of a theme? Well, I did that this week, and I don't typically do that, but every once in a while I will. And the first one here is Sands of the Kalahari, uh, or Kalahara, and uh, yeah, this is from 1965. It's got Stuart Whitman, who's in Night of the Lepus, and um, what is he in? He's in White Buffalo, too. I think he's in the beginning. He's in a slew of stuff. Um, the Shadow's in an Empty Room. He's kind of like a classic actor that you see in a bunch of movies. He's like your dad's actor, you know what I mean, if that makes any sense. Like, you'll see him in tons of movies. Also has Stanley Baker's in a bunch of British movies. I think he's in Zulu. Um, and uh, then we have Susanna York from the awesome movie images by robert altman so i was like okay this is a nice little cast here and i watched it because it involved killer baboons or violent baboons and i was kind of going down i literally went down a rabbit hole or a baboon hole of killer baboon movies from from before like modern times i'm not watching any cgi sci-fi baboon movies i'm sorry if i sound like an asshole i'm not doing it but uh sands of the uh kalahara which is basically kind of a disaster film we have a group of like tourists they're all a mixture of people. We have like this doctor, this old German man. Um, we have Susanna York, Stanley Baker, who seems to be an alcoholic. And of course, Stuart Whitman, who is this kind of survivalist hunter type. And they decide their plane was canceled. So they decide to take like a charter plane. We have a couple pilots as well. And of course, the plane goes down in the middle of the desert. And we have a survival film. So they have to deal with the plane crash. They have to deal with, you know, water, um, finding food, finding water, finding shelter, um, killer baboons, which are surrounding them. And they're everywhere and of course you know the biggest enemy of all in this situation your fellow man so uh yeah like i said the cast is really good uh there's some things in here uh and, and the back of the case suggests that somebody goes bad and i don't want to spoil it where's it at here um i i almost want to read this but a fellow crazed passenger that's what it says here it's not the harsh surroundings a chartered plane a charter plane Chartered plane crashes in a remote African desert after colliding with a swarm of locusts. It's not the harsh surroundings or the vicious baboons that survivors have to worry about, but a fellow crazed passenger. And uh, fairly uh, quick in the movie, I was thinking that we're going to get this person be the crazed passenger. But as the movie goes on, it, it kind of changes gears, and I was like, oh shit, I did not expect who went nuts or who to be bad to be bad, even though I should have. And I don't really want to spoil anything here by saying that. Maybe I'll, I'll kind of talk a little bit later about it, because I do want to talk about some performance 
performances in here, which I enjoyed. But anyways, all in all, I think the movie is really good. It's definitely a survival film, a disaster film, where we have all these kind of horrible things happening to each other. And we have this kind of a, this assembled cast trying to survive, uh, assembled cast trying to survive the the horrors. I mean, even even locusts are the ones that hit their plane. It's just such a typical uh, what the hell could go wrong next kind of deal. But they're all in location. It looks hot as hell. looks miserable. Really cool location. Um, it's an enjoyable-ass movie. Stuart Whitman is top-notch in it. Stanley Baker's really good, too. Susanna York is solid. Everybody's good in here. The side characters, the doctor I really enjoyed. But all in all, I think it was a really good movie from the 60s. And this is, again, like I said, Stuart Whitman is your dad's actor. This movie is like a dad's movie. Like, it's the movie that you would walk in and as you're a kid and he's watching it. Or he might bring it up. Like, have you ever seen that one? It's like these baboons. And, and it's, it's and like they would explain it. And you'd be like, oh, it sounds cool. And then, like, you'd ignore it. And then, like, 20 years later, you'd be like, hey, I'm going to watch this movie. And then you enjoy it because you're now an old man, too. But, uh, yeah, uh, that's kind of how I got it out of it. I enjoyed it. There's no special features on the disc which is kind of a bummer but um i guess i'll get into a little bit of spoiler territory here so Susanna York starts to kind of have a relationship with Stuart Whitman. So you kind of suggest that maybe I was thinking, oh, Stuart Whitman's going to be the good guy. Maybe Stanley Baker going out. I didn't think so. I thought the pilot was going to go crazy because the pilot showed all these horrible aggression scenes and almost rape attempt with a rape scene almost pretty much, which is really kind of bothersome and very much of the time. But you figure this guy is going to be the horrible asshole and come back and have some problems. But as it progresses, Stuart Whitman starts to look around his surroundings and realizes he's got to make a decision here. And, uh, there's not enough food or supplies to go around. And I love his interaction with one of the characters. And um, he's just such a matter of fact. He's walking around the entire movie with his pec showing and no shirt. And he's just like has his gun and his short shorts. He's just like oozing 60s masculinity, right? So, um, and uh, he's talking to this guy and he's like, so you decided that it's possible that get rid of another person. It'd be better for you to survive. He's like, that's or no he's like it'd be better for one somebody else to go uh to try to find help in the desert and it's very dangerous obviously and he's like that's right and just the way he delivers that's right um i don't know i thought this was a solid ass movie and there is a a great moment at the end where Stuart Whitman takes on some baboons and it's really awesome. He's got a big bushy beard. It reminded me of the scene in Day of the Animals with Leslie Nielsen with the <laughs> Everybody knows the scene I'm talking about. It's an amazing scene. But uh yeah, also every time a baboon gets shot, they just throw like a rubber chimpanzee or a chimpanzee corpse and it's like I'm like, that's not a fucking baboon. That's a dead chimpanzee or something. But uh it's kind of funny there. Anyways, I think it was a, a a prop. I'm not sure what the hell it was. You're never too sure how many animals were messed up in these old movies. But uh anyways, check it out. It's a pretty cool movie uh from Olive Films. No special features unfortunately, but I enjoyed myself nonetheless. Okay, this next one I only have on a bootleg and it is In the Shadow of the Kilimanjaro. Also about killer baboons, of course. Gotta love killer baboons. This one's from 1986, and it stars Timothy Bottoms and John Davies Rise, or John Rise Davies from the Indiana Jones movies. Everybody knows Timothy Bottoms from the classic, um, what was that freaking movie from 85 about the serpent? Um, the serpent, the sea serpent, sea or sea of the serpent or something like that with uh, Ray Milan and Timothy Bottoms. But really, he's from Last Petro Show. Uh, he's a classic actor. He's in a lot of stuff. He's a lot of B-movies too. He's one of those guys that just did a million freaking movies. Okay, so basically this one, I believe, takes place in Africa. I'm not sure what part of Africa. I'm really shitty about geography in general. Um, you know how Americans are. They don't even know where the hell half the states are themselves. So how can you expect them to know which country... And 
anything is taking place in. Uh, very shitty, but it's the truth. Um, so basically what happens is we have Timothy Bottoms who's on this isolated place and he's taking care of these animals, you know, he's taking care of, you know, some baboon. Uh, he has a little baboon, but a lot of like cheetahs and stuff. He's like a wildlife kind of preserver. Uh, I can't say that word. That's what we're doing today. There it is. Perseverationist. There we go. <laughs> uh, maybe I'll edit something silly in that one too. But uh, yeah, so... And then we have uh, John Rise Davies at the uh, other end, and he's just trying to, like, um, I think he's looking for diamonds, and him and his crew are kind of, like, you know, mining for diamonds and everything like that. So it's going through one of the biggest droughts. This is based on a true story, going through one of the biggest droughts at the time, so all the animal, the wildlife is suffering, and the baboons start to look towards people for food. Um, so they start to lash out and attack people, and it's up to Timothy Bottoms to try to convince everybody the typical Jaws, these baboons are going to do something horrible, and all the authority figures being like, don't worry about it. There's lions out there too, and we don't hear anything about that. Yada yada yada. Give him the whole bullshit, beat around the bush stuff um, until the the whatever. So basically, eventually, it comes to a, a siege movie, and it's up to Davies and Timothy Bottoms to stop the baboons from attacking them. Uh, baboons are scary as hell, especially when there's like 20 of them running at you. You'll see that in the other movie, uh, The Sands of the Killa, uh, Kalahari, too. But this one, also scary. Baboons sitting on the roof, tearing through it, everybody. Um, it's an enjoyable film. Uh, there's a crazy airplane scene, again, as the last one. I, this one is probably, uh, I don't want to say, it's not my least favorite. I I would put it uh, as my third favorite of the four. Um, but this one I think is semi-enjoyable. It, it's decent. It's based on a true story. And I was really worried because they go out and they shoot a bunch of baboons at one time. And I was like, man, that looks like they're really shooting them. And at the very end, it popped up and said no animals were harmed in the making of this film. And that gave me some relief. Um, uh, but anyways, it's a decent movie. Uh, baboons are scary as hell. It's got a decent, solid cast. Um, the sound's not very great on this. Um, I didn't even watch the bootleg. I watched a Laserdisc rip. Um, there is an HD trailer floating around, so I wouldn't mind seeing this hit hit on Blu-ray. It would probably do it some favors. But, uh, yeah, it, it's kind of what you expect. Uh, maybe good double feature with this would be, like, Ghost in the Darkness or something like that with... Um, who is it? Uh, Val Kilmer and Michael Douglas, if I'm not mistaken. Cool movie, but yeah. Okay, the next... How could I do a killer baboon movie without talking about 1988's Primal Rage from Dark Force? Yeah, that's right. This is directed by uh, Vittori Rimbaldi, who I, ha I mean has to be a relative to Carlo Rimbaldi, right? The special effects artist who actually worked special effects on this. He worked on Possession, E.T., Lizard in a Woman's Skin. Um, hell, he did a bunch of big movies too. I even think he did uh, The uh, Silver Bullet. Maybe, maybe he worked on Dune, if I'm not mistaken. But here we go. So, Primal Rage. This is 1988 ridiculous Italian nonsense. I feel like this one was made in America, so it was like kind of the latter day um, when I, I feel like some of the actors were actually American and speaking English on set. But we have Bo Sevzin, uh, who's <laughs> insane. And when he does these Italian movies, he's pretty crazy. Think, um, what was the one? Um, Beyond Dreams Door, not Beyond Dreams Door, Beyond the Door 3, uh, Amok Train. He's nuts in that one. And he kind of has a similar deal in this. So he's a scientist working on this baboon. He's trying to figure, I don't even remember what kind of thing he's trying to cure. It's something uh, immensely, some brain stuff, I think. Is he trying to do the um, Alzheimer's kind of deal and cure all that brain healing and whatnot? So essentially, he's working on this baboon, giving him experiments. We have a reporter who goes around. There's like two reporters around the campus, and they're really snoopy, really aggressive reporters. Um, 
one day one breaks, they're the main characters, one day one breaks into the baboon place and accidentally lets the baboon go. The baboon does scratch him and it infects him with something. The baboon is killed in the very beginning, so there's not much baboon stuff going on really, but I guess it still counts as baboon whore because what happens? So essentially what happens is like a lightweight demons kind of, uh, anybody who's scratched by him becomes kind of rabid. There's these three ridiculous over-the-top 80s bad guy villains that are just like basically rapists. Like, you know, basically they're date rapists from college campuses. That's essentially what they are. There's three of them and they're absolute morons. There's a lot of time spent with them and they're absolutely goofy. And basically what happens is they're infected at one point without spoiling, breaking down everything. And the entire movie ends at a ridiculous Halloween party because it takes place on Halloween, which I absolutely love. And it's gory and it's crazy and it has a wild Halloween party nonsense. Think like at the end, remember Neon Maniacs when they have that big high school kind of musical and a bunch of people are getting killed. That's like that here. But there's all these big Halloween costumes that looks like a, a, a movie scene from a popcorn when they're in the movie theater. Everybody's wearing costumes. Ridiculous. But uh, so like at one point, like all the, the bullies run in there and they're wearing these skeleton outfits, which is freaking awesome. And you can imagine the chaos that ensues. Um, yeah. It's a really fun, absolutely ridiculous, batshit bonkers, 1988 Italian-American co-production deal or whatever the hell it is. I think it's like one of those Italian horror movies made in like Florida, like Welcome to Spring Break or something like that by Umberto Lenzi. It feels like in that kind of vein where it's really weird and just off the fucking wall uh, or out the lunch, as the Canadians say. But um, it's a, it's really enjoyable. There is an interview with the producer on here. Uh, he doesn't talk too much about the movie, if I remember correctly. There's one point where that kind of trailed off and was talking about stuff that I was like, does this relate to any movies? But um, again, it was kind of one of those deals where I was only like halfway listening because I'm an asshole. But uh, I enjoyed this one. I thought this one was really fun, really ridiculous. Um, it just... You know, it is that kind of charm from the late 80s. It's almost just like, how weird and crazy can we get? And I am so sad I did not watch this for years. But uh, yeah, this is pretty insane. Lots of, lots of gore. Bo Sebson's absolutely ridiculous in it. There's a point where like the reporter is asking to talk to him. And he's like, can I get an interview? He's like, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no, yeah, no, no. He's like half paying attention for something. He's like, and he just drives off and leaves him. So anyways, this is... This or Sansa Kalahari are probably my favorite of the two. I think that they're both good in completely different ways, if that makes any sense. But Primal Rage, you got to see it, especially if you're into the crazy Italian movies with gore and everything like that. You got to see it. It's very fun. And the last of the Killer Baboons movies is... Shockman! I don't think you can say Shockman normal. I just did, but Shockman! The trailer is absolutely ridiculous. This is a German import, and I got the German import because it, the time code Red's Blu-ray was out of print. It was super expensive, and I was like, you know what? But I'm completely happy with just having the the um, the German Blu-ray, um, and I think it's region-free. And they spelled Roddy McDowell wrong. It's a Roddy. Why is it a Roddy? Look at that. Why is it spelled wrong? That's weird. I don't understand why you spelled Roddy McDowell's name wrong. But it basically, I forgot the lead guy in here. It's Christopher Atkins, Roddy McDowell. Um, is that Amanda Weiss in this? They spelled her name wrong, too, on the back. So, yeah, it's Amanda Weiss. They spelled her name wrong on the front, too, unless it's spelled like that in, uh, in, in German. That doesn't make any sense. I don't know. But I think Amanda Weiss was the one in Nightmare on Elm Street who got put on the ceiling, if I'm not mistaken. So we have a couple familiar faces here. This movie's ridiculous. So um, 
the plot here is uh, basically a group of college kids that are, you know, smart kids, college kids. I think they're going in for like medical degrees and things like that. And the professor is Roddy McDowell and he's working on this baboon that Christopher Atkins has a connection with him and this baboon are tight, even though you don't see any of it. So you just have to assume that they were friends, barely see anything with the baboon in the very beginning. Anyways, before he is basically medically, like he has a surgery done on him and uh, it doesn't really work out. When he wakes up, he comes to, he's very upset, very angry. So they decide to put him down because that's the only way that uh, they'll be able to deal with it because they messed up and he's just never going to be the same. But uh, what happens is there's a mistake. He isn't put down. He's just sedated longer. And the group of kids is going to play this elaborate Dungeons and Dragons on foot and use the whole kind of college campus, this building, shut it down and use it as like a game board and have like uh, Roddy McDowell being like the dungeon master controlling everything at the computer with walkie talkies and stuff like that. Of course, what happens is Shakma, which is, the, I don't how know how they came up with that name. Like where all the maxes and, and any normal names taken for a, for a uh, baboon. What do you call a baboon? I, I Shakma is such a weird name. I don't know where the hell it came from. Um, but I don't even know what it means. Anyways, a Shakma. But um, so they they have this Dungeons and Dragons, and of course Shakma wakes up and he's pissed off, man. Um, and you think the plot like that, you're like, oh, this would be fun. This movie's not fun. It, it's kind of, I mean, it is kind of fun, but it's dark. It's dark. It's not lighthearted. It's not silly. And the end of this film is super dark. I was like, this is very dark. People are getting killed, and lots of people get killed in kind of sad ways. And when the baboon attacks you, it's terrifying because he's just like ravenous as hell. He like attacks the doors. He's pounded on doors. And I just don't, I'm not big on like primates. I'm kind of terrified of primates, to be honest, especially when it comes to chimpanzees. I don't like them. Like, I'm not like scared sitting watching them or anything. But if somebody brought a chimpanzee over my house, I'd be like, get out. Don't let that chimpanzee in my house. I don't want it to rip off my nuts and my hands and my eyes and my nose and everything because although i'm sure they're sweet 90 percent of the time that 10 percent of the time is a motherfucker right so uh yeah anyways just not not a fan of chimpanzees being in captivity or pets for people if it can if it can be helped uh so anyways and, and baboons are a little bit on the same level here so this baboon is freaking out out and tearing shit up. Um, he's horrifying. Um, the idea that they're playing Dungeons and Dragons is really cool. The characters, you know, they are what they are. I don't love any of them. I don't hate any of them. I like Roddy McDowell. Always like Roddy McDowell. Will never dislike Roddy McDowell. So that helps. But uh, basically, uh, pretty much everyone's mangled by this baboon. And he's me. And he's scary. And he bangs on doors a lot. And that's pretty much a shockma. Or shockma! I don't have that much to say about it, except it's super surprisingly dark. It's 1990. It's kind of late in this kind of phase. Yeah, I don't really know. I think animal attack movies were kind of made forever. This is not the heyday in it, though, but they were made forever. So uh, this one, it does have the commentary by David Dakota on here, too. So I wonder if it's just a, this Code Red rip. It's probably a bootleg, to be honest. I don't know this company very well, but it wasn't very expensive. It says it's region locked, but I don't think it is. I watched on my regular player, my 4K player, with no problems. But that is Shockma. Check it out if you're interested. <laughs> Okay, this next one is completely bonkers. Um, if it was up to me, I would just watch bonkers movies this and all the time. That's all I'd watch is insane movies. And I feel like I watch too many insane movies as it is. But this one is The Cat from 1992 by Simon Lamb. You guys probably know that name or know who this director is because he did the story of Ricky, okay? A.K.A. Rickio, which is an awesome freaking prison movie based off a of manga. The Cat. How the hell do I go about this one? Somebody... Ex 
explained it on Letterboxd possibly as John Carpenter's The Thing meets John Woo's The Killers. And that's not far off. This is just madness. And it's Hong Kong madness, um, which is the best kind of madness to catch. Um, so, whoa, uh, shit. How do I say this? Um, I feel like I should just pull up a summary of it. Essentially, what we have here is this star killer creature. Basically, what happens is we have this alien, um, these this group of aliens. There's like two of them, and this this alien cat that comes with them, and they're there to find some sort of artifact. I think that would get rid of this this killer called the Star Star Killer. Um, but when they come, the Star Killer is following them or something along those lines, and they're looking for this this artifact that is in museums. They start to steal it, but as they they kind of like get all the artifacts together to stop it, the Star Beat Killer is after them. At the I want to keep calling it Star Beast because alien, but the Star Killer is after them and he is a crazy weird monster um i do not know how to explain this thing at first he wakes up seemingly like a homeless man a humanoid thing but as it progresses he becomes like this giant like blob thing that just kind of assimilates and eats up everything it comes in contact with and it's absolutely horrifying it's like electric and it, it like engulfs this entire room at one point and like takes all these cops and just mut like mutilates them and melts them and turns them all into gooey shit and takes over their bodies which leads these cops at, at times to attack like these the to go after the other aliens who have teamed up with another group of people who I believe are a pair of de uh, detective um, who have figured out that there's something strange going on with this cat um, and everything like that and all these people and he's trying to figure out everything and the robbery and all that so like and there's, uh, the the blob creature the star killer had turned like all these cops into like villains too so like there's this amazing there's these crazy shootouts of insane insanity of people doing like these stunts and flipping back and just getting shot with giant blast it's just a nuts movie I do not know how crazy this is just weird and did I mentioned that like a cat is one of the main characters here i feel like this cat was abused a little bit i mean his tail wasn't a door and, and you hear horrible stories about milo and otis so therefore you're like eh, i don't i don't even want to think what happened to this poor cat but um there is a great scene where the guy goes and gets a dog to help him catch the cat the cop and there's this elaborate fight scene between the cat and the dog in a junkyard which is just batshit the ending is absolutely batshit. Um, it's just a weird, crazy movie with these over-the-top special effects and everything you would expect from a sci-fi horror action movie from the director of uh, Riccio. Um, it's great. You gotta see it. It's highly entertaining. Special effects goo. I love movies with blob creatures or tentacled creatures that like kind of suck you in and assimilate you. Think The Blob, Caltiki, any of those. Um, the Quatermass movies, I like all those. So any of these kind of larger-than-life, batshit, weird alien creatures that you just spend 10 minutes in the thing thinking about like how or what or... Uh, anyways check it out it's super weird um and the cat is really awesome and adorable I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a pet guy i love cats i love dogs i love animals even though i love like horror movies and, and even the italian stuff that's horrible to animals i do enjoy i i mean i am a big fan of animals um so i like when like uh, cats or something are main characters and stuff like that um anyways enjoyable check it out uh it's it's just nuts the cat, uh, man, this guy also did one called Seventh Curse, which I should watch ASAP. I'm sure I'll like that one as well, because Story of Ricky and the Cat are both great. Okay, this next one is an independent movie directed by James L. Edwards and Brad Twig. And this is uh, James L. Edwards' follow-up to Her Name Was Krista. This is Brimstone Incorporated. So this is an anthology film. It was made, I think, last year or over a couple of years. And was just being, it's just being released this year. I think it's on makeflix.com or there's a pre-order. So James L. Edwards was an 
independent actor in the Ohio area, and I watched a lot of his films growing up. He was in the Tempe movies, stuff like very small roles in Dead Next Door and Skin to Lie, but he was at a bigger roles in Polymorph and Dead, uh, you know, what is the um, Bloodletting and Polymorph and a slew of other movies and Robot Ninja that I've always remembered. I've always been a fan of the guy. I actually got a chance to interview him on here um, uh, at a Cinema Wasteland. Super nice guy. So I, I, I am friends with the guy. I do like him. So therefore, you know, it is a little weird covering some of his movies sometimes. So I'm just letting you guys know that I am familiar with him. We have kind of a good relationship. So uh, yeah, uh, Brimstone Incorporated. So like I said, this is three stories in a wraparound. Um, and all of them are directed by James L. Edwards, except the last one, which is Skunkweed. The first story, I don't remember exactly. I, I have trouble remembering all the names sometimes on anthologies. Um, but the first story involves a horrible date gone to hell, which I thought was pretty enjoyable. Uh, basically, it stars the two leads of her name was Krista. They meet at this diner. They met online. And pretty quickly, the date starts to fall apart when she makes racist comments. And there's this really funny line about spiritualism that will pop up a couple more times. That's kind of the the... the the through line through the entire, you know, anthology is this line about, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. It kind of cracks me up. Um, so the date is absolutely horrible and it gets worse and worse and worse until some bodies end up. The whole kind of wraparound plot is like night train to tear kind of deal where all the main characters are being interrogated by um, another star. Her name is Krista Osmos uh, Osmodius, who I think is a demon. All, all those characters in that wraparound are named after demons or monsters and stuff like that. And they're being interrogated whether or not they belong in hell. So that's kind of the plot. So James L. Edwards is the main character here. He's kind of explaining this whole entire story and the things escalate. And of course, people end up dead and there's a nice little twist. But the only real complaint is there's a lot of cutaways to like diner patrons there that are shocked. And it just seems like they reuse a lot of them or there's just too many of them. And and maybe it's just a little too, um, you know, talkative in there. Maybe it could have been trimmed down a little bit. But I thought this one was fairly decent and enjoyable. And the twist was all right. Um, the next story here uh, actually starts stars uh, Kaylee Williams, who's an independent actress, and Sasha um, Sasha Graham, who is in Polymorph and some old kind of films like that as well, some of the Tempe stuff. So basically, this story here follows uh, an overprotective mother of her son. And without spoiling too much of that, there's a twist again in this one. Um, this one was probably my least favorite of the three. It doesn't mean it's bad, but the twist is decent. But um, it's just kind of the means how the mother will go to over to protect her son. But there's obviously a reason. And the problem with anthologies is half the time you're explaining the story and you don't want to spoil it. So there's not much to be said about it. Um, yeah. So the final story is one about skunkweed. And it's, it's kind of the movie you make on a budget when you basically only have one real location to use. And it's a smart thing to do. Um, it's effective it works um it follows a story of basically two guys uh but only one actor's in it so we kind of get the answer to the question what would happen if maybe possibly helen got the wrong person which i liked um and that has uh that opening little thing has timothy novity i think is how you say his name he's in a bunch of stuff thought he's really solid in this one uh good demeanor in here although he's not in too much unfortunately i thought he would be in the whole short but he wasn't um so this follows the story of his brother, actually, without spoiling too much. And uh, he is kind of a agoraphobic reason for him to be trapped in an apartment. He writes jingles and uh, he has sent this special weed that he smokes 
that he starts to hallucinate and, you know, fall apart. All these awful things happen. He fights a little creature in his apartment. Pretty much everything you can kind of do in an isolated location in that way. And special effects are good. Uh, gore on the ear. I thought all that stuff was good and effective. This one I enjoyed as well. Um, then we come back to the final wraparound and we see guys like Adam Clevenger, Adam Scott Clevenger in here and Jeff Berkman who are Dayton actors, which I enjoyed seeing. And uh, they're actually very funny as well. I thought that the dialogue between um, uh, the guy who plays Osmodius and Adam Scott Clevenger made me laugh out loud. I always like Jeff Berkman. You guys will possibly recognize him from, you know, Jim Van Beber's early stuff. Uh, he is actually in, well, Jim Van Beber, just his stuff in general, Manson Family and uh, My Sweet Satan. So, yeah, I enjoyed the wraparound a little bit. So I guess if I ranked them, man, I would probably put the wraparound and... Uh, a little bit above. It's my favorite, actually, which is strange to say, right? And then I would put the first and the third story about a tie, and then the second story is my bottom. Um, not that it's horrible or anything. And it's hard to make an anthology, really, on a budget. Um, not everyone's going to like every short. Not everyone's going to, you know, be on board for the thing. But anyways, um, yeah, check it out if you're interested. There'll be a trailer rolling through uh, while I talk. But anyways, James L. Edwards is a good guy. Um, and it seems like everybody involved had a good time. So if you're interested, check it out. That is Brimstone Incorporated. Okay, so the Patreon pick this week was by Dan the Cameraman, and he said, pick a movie on the Internet Movies Top 250, 100 to 150, and that I haven't seen. So this is going to come as a surprise. This is a huge blind spot for me um, because I'm a fan of the director, Martin Scorsese, and it is Raging Bull. I've never seen Raging Bull until now. Um, yeah, I always knew the story that it was up for an Oscar along with Elephant Man and Ordinary People beat both. I need to watch Ordinary People now. I've seen Elephant Man. Great movie. So, uh, yeah, here we go. Raging Bull. What the hell can I say about it? It's the true story or supposed true story about Jake LaMotta. He was a famous boxer uh, a long, long time ago. Um and it's a story about, you know, the toxic masculinity, the obsession and paranoia. Um, basically, the story about a boxer whose violent attitude brings him to the top and takes him all the way to the bottom. Uh, it stars Robert De Niro as Jake LaMotta in a, in a fantastic Martin Scorsese-directed performance. And those are always great. Obviously, Mean Streets, Taxi Driver, Goodfellas, Casino. Um, he's so good in these movies. He's just like next-level actor in these movies, to be honest. It also stars, uh, uh, who is it, Kathy Morarty, um, who's also fantastic in the movie. Um, you'll see some familiar faces as like Frank Vincent. And a couple of the other background characters are kind of like in Goodfellas. You'll recognize them. Uh but my favorite, and usually he always is my favorite as I get older, is Joe Pesci. And Joe Pesci plays his brother in this movie. Um, he's kind of his manager. And right in the beginning, you, you see De Niro as an older guy, as the older Jake LaMotta, trying to like remember lines and stuff. And he's just all beat up and he's got this big broken nose and, and everything. You just kind of like, oh, yeah, I, I remember that scene. I had seen that scene before. And then we kind of like jump back to his past and everything like that. And we see this young boxer who's up and coming and the way the boxing scenes are filmed are really surreal almost and dreamlike, but also brutal when the punches are landed and you see like the, the mist and the stuff come off. I don't know how to explain it, but it's like one of the best looking movies I've ever seen. It's just captivating from the first frame to the last, just on visuals alone. But um, the paranoia in Jake LaMotta, of course, he is a hyper-jealous, super-jealous person where he's constantly paranoid because, obviously, um, like his wife that he 
got is just like used to have friends that Joe Pesci shares. So he's constantly worried about all those guys because they used to they were used to hang out. So he's always worried about it in an insane kind of way. And that paranoia is absolutely insane. Like when he questions Pesci, his brother or his wife, you just like are nervous for the people he's questioning. And he's a he's a freaking boxing champion. So he's absolutely horrifying. Um, and he's so abusive and so awful. And and then later on, as he's kind of on his downspin, and and that's kind of these always the Scorsese movies, right? Like a lot of the ones that have organized crime involved, they always show like uh, the rise. Even though here you never really see him be happy, but you see like the rise of them and then the crash at the same time. I mean, in the second half of the movie, but uh, he's just fantastic in it. Like, and, and the way uh, the scene where I don't want to spoil too much, but he accuses his brother and just runs in their house. And like, you could see Joe Pesci's character actually getting affected, um, ver- like, uh, uh, mentally by his brother's constant beating on him. Like, you see him talking to his kid like that later on, and I don't know if he always did that, but you feel like his like uh, Jake LaMotta's anger and hatred and stuff is actually contagious to the people around him because he's treating him so poorly. But uh, yeah, uh, just great performance by De Niro, great performance by Pesci, loved Pesci in this one. Uh, Some of his dialogue is absolutely priceless. Uh, Frank Vincent's also really good in this. Uh, The scene with Frank Vincent and Joe Pesci uh, with the car door, loved it. Um, I feel like these guys are always fucking each other up in movies, to be honest. It's just kind of like an ongoing gag um, that Martin Scorsese always does in his movies. Like, he's like, oh, you got to have these guys beat the shit out of each other. It would have been great if you got Joe Pesci to pop up in Sopranos just for two seconds. Um, Maybe slaps Frank Vincent or something. Anyways, uh, how can I say anything about this movie that anybody hasn't heard? The score is great. Um, just walking them, how he frames them, walking, running down the street. And I like also how they have that incorporated crime. Like you hear like people, I've heard a lot of people mention that Scorsese grew up on like these streets where organized crime was just everywhere. So like it was a part of everyday life where these people paid respect to everybody and, and like they treated you well as long as you treated them well too. And it seems like that here, but Jake LaMotta is like his own man. He won't crumble for nobody. He's never been knocked down his entire career and you just see him kind Constantly taking all these headshots and this abuse and obviously that could kind of be the reason why he's so violent and so um untrustworthy of everything but towards the end of the movie like even after he's lost everything um he he bags his way back in the house and this is a spoiler if you haven't seen the movie but he bags his way back in the house and um he, he starts breaking out the gems out of his like his belt to sell them and uh, she's like, you got to be quiet. The kids are waking up. And he's like, he's he's kicked out of the house. They're, him and his wife are on the way to have a divorce, so they're not together. And he's hammering this this belt to get the gems out. And it's on like the counter. And these plates fall over and break. And he's like, he starts yelling at his wife still. He's like, why didn't you put the plates up when I wouldn't fall? And it's just like, it started laughing out loud because it's just like, you're not even supposed to be in the fucking house right now. You're banging on the damn belt. And then you have the nerve to blame her for putting the plates like that when you shouldn't even been in. And it's just so funny. It's like, why'd you put the plates and it's like and he's just trying to blame somebody else for for the stuff um anyways uh great movie uh, loved it, loved every second of it, uh, just good stuff. And I don't think Martin Scorsese wanted to do this movie. I think that De Niro uh, wanted to do this more than him, and and they, they got to make it because my understanding is like if you listen to Pure Cinema, they talk about that a little bit. That he's, you know he didn't really want to do sports movies. It really wasn't his thing. But um, this is a great movie. Anyways, and and Pesci, man, Pesci is gold in it. And I think it's the first time him and uh, Martin Martin Scorsese worked together. But um, it's just a great movie. Loved it. All right. We're (laughs) here for Blind Spot. This is the final. And um, we'll explain kind of, I guess, what we're going to do after this. We're actually going to keep Blind Spot going. 
but it's not going to be like a predetermined thing. We're just going to take a bunch of movies that neither of us have seen, throw them in a bag, and draw from it, and keep adding in when we feel like it. Stuff like that when we agree. You could say we're going in blind. We're going in blind. Or, and then we're going to also continue, what are you doing? Um, we're going to do the Universal Rundown. We're going to do like the 86 movies that they consider universal horror. I'll post a list eventually. It's a website. They're gonna, we're going to start with the Dr. Jekyll 2013 silent movie that is predates Universal, but I guess it was made by the company before it became Universal. Uh, we're also going to do the Amicus movies. And you guys are wondering, why are you guys going to do all those simultaneously? We're not going to have four episodes a week. Um, we're going to do them whenever we feel like them, but there'll be one episode every single week. Get rid of that bottle cap. <sighs> Our cat's playing with his bottle cap. Yeah. But, um, and then we'll also do a um, You Ain't Seen That, which we're going to shoot a segment for our opening, which is basically, we're going to like each back and forth week, we're going to give each other something that neither of us have seen. And like I said, I know this seems like a lot of different things we're going to do, but we're actually going to keep them on. Because I don't like the idea of constantly being forced to do these as like seasons, like 52 movies. It just was a lot of work and it just felt like it was actually like making everything, um, a chore not a chore but it just didn't it felt so unnatural and and you know i just want to keep it flowing to what we want to do at times you know there's some you know not so much with blind spot but um especially with the hammer there are times where it's like squeeze in two hammer movies at a time well you would have to squeeze in two hammer movies um sometimes there's just like a period of like years where like Hammer just wasn't making good things. Or they're making exactly the same stuff. So yeah, this exactly way, the same stuff. We can maybe we'll do two weeks in Universal if we want to do that. And we'll hop into Blind Spot. We'll hop into Amicus. So we can right. keep it. We might do three, four in a row. We might do one. We can just keep it go back and forth. But when we do, you ain't never seen. We'll do one week and then we'll go back and do the other for that week. Right. But it's just I just want to keep it mixed up and I don't want to make everything like because I was doing fifty-two like weeks is a, a season and it's just this way. It's more free flow. There'll be a weekly segment that me and Jeremy do every week, no matter what. So we just don't want to predetermine which one it will be. So uh, those are the things we wanted to cover. We wanted to do all the Amicus movies, and then maybe when those are up, we'll pick something like Film Noir or Godzilla or Bruce Lee or something right. like that and go through all those. And we're definitely going to do the Universal movies and the, keep the blind spot going for fun. Mm -hmm. and the new segment you ain't seen that is, should be fun as well so this is the last movie of the this cycle of like year four or whatever and this is um the blind spot this is my final pick this is park chan wook's thirst from 2009 this director did stuff of course the vengeance trilogy old boy Sympa uh, lady vengeance sympathy for mr vengeance he also did stoker and uh joint security area the guy's got a, a great resume he's one of the best korean filmmakers or considered one of the best film korean uh korean filmmakers around um yeah i was really impressed with this movie this is another take on the vampire tale that's why kind of why we put this in martin at the very end uh it follows a priest who uh is kind of like a martyrdom thing he uh yeah. kind of volunteers to be in this experimental study to try to figure out a cure and these vaccinations for this really um advanced kind of i don't want to say leprosy but it's definitely a skin disorder that kind of you get lesions and eventually you, you internal bleeding and it closes up your i don't even know why you die or how you die from it but it's rather extreme i don't think i don't know if it's a real disease or not oh i have no idea i don't even know if leprosy is still around <laughs> but he goes to africa for the trials and everything like that the uh, lead actor is in a slew of uh, famous korean movies he's like a big a-list actor in korea you see him i think believe he's in parasite as the father i think it's the same actor he's in um lady vengeance in a small role he's in joint security area fantastic actor so he plays this priest who uh essentially dies during that but he gets a blood transfusion at one point and he realizes very quickly that he is a vampire 
And yeah. it's not the typical take on a vampire, but it is somewhat similar. He has to bandage himself up from the sun, so that immediately kind of conjures up the images of the Invisible Man, the Universal-style stuff. Darkman. Darkman. Uh, and he uh, essentially goes um, back to like his hometown, if I'm not mistaken, and he uh, worked in this hospital where he would take care of people when they were dying and kind of comfort them and everything like that. And he's always been very disturbed by death and, and mm -hmm. saddened by it. And he ends up... Um, having to perform miracles. People think he's a miracle worker, kind of like those traveling uh, priests that would perform the rituals of curing the people of the blind. And he has a mentor who's blind and stuff like that. And when they figure out that he kind of raised from the dead in Jesus fashion, people are following him about. They think he's a special kind of a, a martyr that has these, these powers, but he's really a vampire. So he falls in love, kind of his relationship with this young girl that he knew from his childhood, that it was uh, sisters, kind of sisters, weird situation there, mm -hmm. with his best friend. So he becomes involved with that family, and kind of on the down low, he's sucking blood from patients when no one's looking, and having a relationship with this young woman who eventually realizes he's a vampire as well. Right. So that's a very extended kind of description of the film, but uh, I think it needed it because it's a very complex uh, drama-like situation. Right. It, it does take a while to get going. Um, you know, he is a priest, so he, he you know, he's never had sex. Um, That's a big part of the film, too. Yeah, but it's a, it's a big part of that where he's never, you know, given into temptation. He doesn't want to kill anyone, which is why he's feeding off the blood of patients and not, like, going out in the middle of the night and, like, lurking. Um, you know, and, like, a few characters kind of find out that he does have this vampirism, um, you know, like, if he, so he, he has this disease, if he doesn't feed on blood, um, the disease kind of, like, resurfaces back. So when he feeds, it goes away. Um, and the lesions are really cool. The lesions are really cool. Um, so, so there's a few characters that, you know, like a handful, like his, his blind mentor, he's like, you know, hey, you could probably cure me. And, he, and I love that whole idea right there. Yeah. Um, and that, that, I guess that kind of shouts out to Frankenstein, uh, Bride of Frankenstein, how really the only person that ever gave him the time of day was the blind person. Yeah. So, I mean, there are some similarities here, too. With that. Some yeah, it's definitely inspired by, I think, a lot of the older classic literature. And yeah. Universal. But, oh, man, the imagery here is fantastic. And they do so many cool things that I've actually, like, you think you would do, but, like... They don't do it. Like, you see him climb on the side of the building, which mm -hmm. is a shout-out to the original Dracula, Bram Stoker's novel. Um, but they do that in a lot of stuff. But just the way they do that was excellent, the way the camera work was. But, but, um, there's a lot of really... Visual, like, amazing Visual, things. sensory things that they do in this movie. Um, like, his, like, flying, just this, like, like, like profound jumping. Um, you, you know, and so, like, he takes his, like, his girlfriend and he, like, jumps up in the air with her to show her what it's like. Um, it's almost fantasy quality, too, <laughs> in a dark romance. Um, the, um, the girlfriend... Um, She's fantastic. I, I want to say one more thing before I forget oh, yeah. it. Um, the, when I said they do a lot of cool things, like when he's in a fit of rage walking down the road, like when he punches the street lamp, mm -hmm. <laughs> that was really cool, and I was really amazed at that. Um, but you're saying like the girl? Oh um, yeah, the, yeah. The, the the girlfriend, um, she's fantastic in this. Um, you, you know, you she's kind of like in this distraught marriage and uh, almost kind of a um, not. What do they call that when you're forced um, to be in a marriage? Arranged. Arranged no. fair marriage. Something. I would say that, yeah. yeah, it's it's, it's really that. weird. She has to marry her adoptive brother because like the mom took her. And the, the mother characters are really. She's fantastic. She's a too. separate page, but I I adore her. But um, it 
so she, you know, she's kind of like, she's in this loveless marriage more or less, um, but she's like psychotic as hell. And, well, the thing about her is she's married to a doofus. The guy mm. she's married to is a moron. He has health problems. So their relationship is not driven by sexual nature. Even no. Um, the thing is, um, we have the priest who's obviously, you know, sexually repressed here. And then we have her who has repressed her, like almost her psycho, psychotic nature. We see her in the very beginning, like with her husband sleeping, she has these little scissors and she's mm-hmm. just doing this with his mouth open. And any second he could close his mouth and she just wants this almost this horrible thing to happen. And both the characters start off as somebody different. They have like these hidden things with them and desires. And by the end of it, it's like they kind of embrace what they want, but through the mm-hmm. vampirism, but it's also horrible. Um, he, he obviously has this thing where he doesn't want to kill anyone, but due to her telling him and manipulating him to a certain extent, pretty much downright manipulates him on in a boat and uses like this great fishing scene that's set up with the police chief telling him about this fishing location. Kind of reminded me of magic when they go on that fishing trip. And that's a really Mm -hmm. great scene too. Um, somebody's killed and he commits murder and, at that point he crosses that threshold everything changes at that and it's like he kind of embraced it after doing that and when she actually eventually it goes further and she kind of turns we're going to spoil this yeah she's a completely different character and it's just like i i love the turn yeah yeah so you know spoiler she does become a vampire but where, where he has this whole you know we're not going to kill anyone we'll just feed off the patients in the hospital she's like she, she reminds me of, like, a Harley Quinn character. Like, she's just, she's maniacal. Um, you know, she loves to kill people. She says, like, the blood tastes better when they're dead. When they're in fear or something. Well, yeah, when, when they're, they're dead, fear. yeah. Um, you know, and ultimate, like, I don't want to give away the ending ending. Um, Do you think everybody would basically be turned like that? And he doesn't turn like that because he's had such a life of, like, you know, following the religion and, and been really kind of, like, good at not falling into his temptations well i because i don't know if he necessarily had like a change in character when he became the vampire she was always psycho but she, she was, doesn't turn until much the, later the thing in the movie is they are they have this kind of they have this subtle it's mm-hmm. hidden underneath and that's kind of how things are like you know what i mean like it's almost like when you're drunk like these, some stuff that is just a small part of your personality becomes the major part of it when you embrace it. So like, it just like these moments of like that, that stuff kind of, they embraced it and they became who they were. Like, yeah, I mean, it's possible. I mean, I think it's maybe like your id takes over completely. Yeah. Like, you know, like when he becomes a vampire, he does give in to his temptation in, in the sense like, you know, he does, you know, have a relationship with a woman. Yeah. He, so I guess that's there, but I mean... I, I think it, it's pretty clear that, like, you know, he doesn't want to kill anyone. He doesn't want to, you know, cause harm to anyone. The reluctant yet. vampire trope. Right. And and she is, like, full-on, like, you know, Castlevania vampire. <laughs> like, I'm just, you know, I, I'm here to fuck shit up and, but you know, have fun. I love crazy women in movies. Um, mm. No matter if they're, like, subdued or absolutely over the top. Um, and you you have a favorite character type too, like that kind of domineering mother type. Right, movies, you always love that. Which the mother is kind of in this one too, big time. Um, and, and like the the culmination of like everything when they're at the so it's like a group of friends we all get together every week and play ma- mahjong. Um, but at that point, 
like pretty much the group of friends find out like oh they're vampires they killed whatever he um, goes ballistic i love the cop in this movie he's great. he's great oh he's great um but the the girl vampire i can't remember the, the the character's name um one of the girls just starts like screaming uncontrollably and the girl vampire just like mocks her screaming like miming her and then she just like like stops and she just like smiles like okay you guys are dead like it, it it's just a fun fun film um, but it's also super well shot well yeah. acted well constructed it's also mm-hmm. a, a dark love story um there's two more things i want to touch on um the joke that they're playing ma ma what is it called mahjong which is the game that they play an untold story and they make a joke referencing one could possibly be a criminal and they say what are you from a cow which is <laughs> where right. untold story took place and i immediately <laughs> thought of anthony wong so it's like that mo- that obvious area has a reputation for being kind of like a slimy crime pit or something like that see i don't that's the thing i don't know is it a is it a shout out to untold story or i just think in general no it's just in general yeah it'd be yeah. like uh, it stays in vegas right right like so I don't, I don't know i don't know like you know what i mean like right. prostitutes in vegas is that kind of deal the city of sin so i imagine that it's just very funny that my mind immediately went to untold story which is anthony wong cheating in that game and then also um very rarely do like love scenes or sex scenes in movies have like a a genuine eroticism to them where you're like wow that that seems legit and this one it felt really legit and um it just was very highly sexual like it just it was a good like a rousing one not where i'm like oh like sensually arousing you know, like to the point where you felt the connection between them. And it was very weird. Like, it felt like she actually, I'm talking about the second sex scene necessarily, not the genuine kind of rape scene that happens that she kind of rapes him, really. That's the first one. Yeah. Is the second one in the hospital? I think that is like a full on scene. Anyways, I the attraction and the interactions between these two is great. And I mm-hmm. just, this guy, the lead actor's great. The lead actress is great. The mother's great. Um, the, the cop character is really fantastic. The idiot uh, husband is great too completely right. oblivious to what the hell's happening and i love the idea that these people see like him as a miracle survivor one of 500 that survived the vaccination and stuff and the, the the course and and they even thought he was dead at one point and he arose from the grave. it's just such a good like mythology with his character and this story mm-hmm. set up um and then at the very end what he does to those followers to make yeah. sure that they stop following because he's like already kind of decided what he's gonna do and, and he goes in and acts like he's gonna rape one of the women so he gets them not to follow him mm-hmm. do they chase him yeah they, they end up chasing they him chase, they the... should chase him with torches and pitchforks yeah because there is like a cult that like camps out at like his wanting him to cure them right um you know you see it a few times throughout the movie and eventually he just goes back there and he's just like i gotta get rid of you guys well like, he wants to make sure that they don't like have him die as a martyr or something right. and worship him as he's exactly. gone um, the end of the movie is great too. Visually, it's fantastic, and it is darkly comedic at times. Like, oh yeah, absolutely. especially when she's trying to save herself from the sun, and mm-hmm. she goes and like tries to get in the car, and he like threw the keys, and he rips off the the, the trunk, and then he actually actively pushes the car out of the way. She's hiding under like laying under the car. Um, Any time that they're fighting is just because there's a few fight scenes between them, um, and they're just like good fun top comic book fights you know for jumping over buildings and chasing each other like you know carrying a body or a weapon like it it's fun it's a really fun movie oh he's look really ugly right now you guys should see his he's face. doing that like he snarls sorry <laughs> you guys want a feline representation right try to pick him up 
I already did. He's he's fat. Yeah, he's heavy. Um, anyways, I really like this movie. It's not neither book. Uh, I think that this guy is obviously he's a great director. People love him, and I know people are big fans of Old Boy. But I thought I liked Stoker, and this one and Lady Vengeance better. Maybe because there was less hype. And Old Boy, I think, requires a couple of viewings. I loved Old Boy. That was great. But those other ones, man, they just they I, especially Stoker in this one. This one I think is his best. This and Stoker, I think, have a special spot for me. I seen this one. I seen a little bit of Parasite. Parasite. That's a that's a different guy. That's a different guy. Yeah, that's a different director. Oh, it's the same uh, actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I seen a little a little bit of Old Boy. Yeah. So, I I don't know. I couldn't compare. I haven't seen enough, I guess, to really pick up on anything. Old Boy. I mean, I saw years ago. Like probably when it came out, when I had the popularity. Probably was that like two thousand seven ish. No, it came out before that. 2004 or something around that oh, time. Oh, yeah, maybe then. Um, but remember. it probably didn't make it to America until 2005, 2006. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I mean, do you want to rate it? I mean, I, I it's fun. I, I don't know if I can rate it. Um, I would probably go like a 4 out of 5. Give it 9 out of 10. 9 out of 10. First time watch. I thought it was great. It, it was really good. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm not a vampire fan. I think everybody knows that, but with the exception of Martin, which was fantastic. Um, Martin, but, but I mean, there's e- other ones. You even like. with Martin, it was um, it was something about it not being a vampire. I think it was just like looking at Romero in general and like realizing like, oh, this is like a an interesting thing for Romero. Um, the but this one for a vampire, you can do whatever you want. That's why vampires. I mean, I mean, I don't love vampire movies, but you don't have to follow the typical story with a vampire that's true i guess i don't dislike vampires i i I am not a fan of dracula i've never been a fan of dracula um it's a boring book it's a boring story it's never been adapted greatly like frankenstein better frankenstein is like classic world lit dracula's pulp nonsense stop i mean dracula is a classic book and I like what happens in the book, but it's such a strangely written book. And I mean, that's iconic in its own way, but it, and, and it's been adapted a million times. And I love a lot of the adaptations and what Dracula has done for the horror genre. But I think that Frankenstein as a story is much more impactful. And I think that the, a lot of the adaptations of Frankenstein are just better. Frankenstein is probably like the most important book ever written. Dracula is... The most important horror book ever written is probably Frankenstein. Most important book, period. Yeah. I would say, I would argue. Yeah. This was the best. That's next week's, because I'm just going to argue about Frankenstein. Frankenstein. So we're probably going to do something <laughs> next week. Like, um, see, because we this was weird. The blind spot, we picked 26 and 26. So I don't really know how to go about it, because some of the movies on my blind spot and his blind spot we hadn't seen. So we don't, we'd like to rank them. I think that probably maybe we rank our 26 that we've seen, and then we give like... Out of yours, the favorites of ours, and favorite, you know what I mean, and the ones we didn't like the most out of our, the other people's. We could think of a, like, for the Hammer one, when we did the Hammer, we had, like, different questions. Like, we'll do that. We'll, we'll, we'll think of some stuff, and then we'll answer it next week. Maybe, do you want to ask them to leave comments? If yeah, w- what would you guys like us to do uh, for the end of the blind spot, for the 52 movies we watched? Uh, possibly, what kind of categories would you like right. to see? That kind of thing. Questions. Comments, yeah. top five, bottom five, um, best actor, best which, director. Which movie that the other person made you watch that you were mad about? That kind of stuff. Magic, magic, magic's fine. That pin. 
you hate all the psychological thrillers except Peeping Tom, I think. All the ones with the cross-dressers. Oh my, there's so many cross-dressers in this list. It's like I like what I like. <laughs> <laughs> all right, and uh, yeah, so that was Thirst uh, 9 for me and uh, 4 out of 5 for you. I don't know why you won't do my scale. Because your scale's <laughs> dumb. Because he already had 10 numbers and he's like, oh, I'll give it all 8 and all 3 6. That's it's right. Like, uh, what's up? We'll just do 1 out of 100 then if you're going to split. No. This is five. Over. I'm probably just going to cut three, you off in the middle of this. Three, just block me. 3 average. <laughs> I'm just going to turn you a Charlie Brown. And then this is the perfect movie. This is the worst movie. And then, like, you know, you're on the fence. You know, 5 scale. Perfect. Great. Just. <laughs> All right, let's get into these questions and answers. I just throw them all together. Last week I asked best movie adapted from a video game. So the answers will be thrown up all the comments and questions as well. Man of Steel. Just got word the documentary The Frankenstein Complex geez, is coming out in the U.S. this year. You're going to pick it up. Original title was Creatures Creators The Frankenstein Complex. It comes with another feature called Mad Dreams and Monsters. Should be really awesome. I'll try to get it. It sounds cool. I love my Frankenstein. Dead Flintstone. Hey Dave, I think your singing wasn't too bad. If you could remake any movie as a musical, what would it be? Ooh. Ah, that's a great question, to be honest. Um, and there's so many movies that would make better musicals, but just so I can get more of something I absolutely love, I would go Return of the Dead. I think Return of the Living Dead could work because it has the campiness. Um, yeah, we'll go Return of the Living Dead. Um, <laughs> you mean the movie Lied could be a song? Um, there's so many titles. A hundred? A hundred could be a song. Uh, yeah. Uh, Do you ever fantasize could be a song. Ja Punk, I appreciate what you said during the Hush review about not liking cat and mouse segments to horror movies. It's good to remember that for many commercial films, what we see is less based on storytelling and more achieving what is felt at amusement park rides. No doubt. A further study on film cliches, how they are useful one year and boring the next would be interesting. Kudos when we get the twist in the norm. For example, the 1984's Angel has a young woman stalked by a serial killer. By the movie's end, she is one chasing a killer in high heels. That's very clever and very funny. Um, I agree. If I were to make a cat and mouse movie, you know that part in the movie when like that third party character comes in and he's like, what's going on here? Instead of that, I would literally like, and then he's obviously killed by the killer. I would have the person who's been uh, tormented by the killer the entire movie rush out and kill the killer while that person's standing there. And then that person who's standing there be confused what actually happened and is wondering who is actually the killer. And then that would be the turmoil. Let's just do that. Why do the same shit every time? Like, and then, and people love that movie. I can't remember what it was called. There was like three movies called that, um, alive or something like that. And I was like, this movie is so generic and everybody loved it. And it wasn't a bad movie it was just so generic it killed me and i don't hate all cat and mouse like sometimes cat and mouse movies can be excellent like terminator 2 is a cat and mouse right technically the whole movie but it's it's great um i just get tired of the i'm in the house and the predictability of all of it you know what i mean it just drives me to tears and it's not it doesn't mean it's bad it just means it's something that drives me to tears um the only video game he, he has more the only video game movie turn that comes to mind is tron and then Isimisio, The Untamed was awesome. Freeze Me, I've seen the cover multiple times but never watched. Need to change that. Glad you finally watched Hush. Silent Hill 2006 was always a favorite of mine. Some dope practical effects, but also hated the CGI moments and wish they stayed more consistent. Can't really say much about the other adaptations, though. Our video game that I hope they would adapt in the future is Control from Remedy Entertainment. Freaking amazing. But they have to do it right. Keep it eerie, all practical effects, and don't use any big-name actors. Avoid making it into a big-budget studio film. It's a dark game with some creepy missions, sick creatures, and if adapted correctly, it'll garner a lot of attention and could easily slip into the horror realm. 
Bad Brains Horror. Resident Evil movies are pretty good, but would have been insane if George Romero directed it. Wish there was a work to print, uh, was a work print to watch or something. Finally got the uh, Testocomato box set, standard arrow edition from Grindhouse. Video for a damn good pricing during arrow sale. Keep up the awesome review. Want to check out the Tokyo Shock stuff, especially id and hair extensions. Is there another line of films you'd be checking out similar to the Katsu? When are we going to get a decent Blu-ray for Cemetery Man? Um, I don't know if I'll watch uh, all the Nakatsu erotic films, but I'll watch a slew of them. And I may actually dive into some Tokyo Shocks down the line or some Tartan Asian Extremes. So, but um, I I don't know. I'd really love a decent Blu-ray of Cemetery Man. I have like two imports and I also have the UK Shameless. <laughs> I don't know if any of them are great quality, to be honest. <laughs> Dying over here. Sherlock Horror. Just saw the Numeral Combat movie and thought it was pretty damn good, but it seems to be spitting, splitting audiences. I like the 90s version and even a fan of the sequel Annihilation as a so bad it's good kind of movie. On a similar note, I love the Dead or Alive movie with Eric Roberts as a villain who gets kung fu superpowers by putting on a pair of sunglasses. And of course, Van Damme's Street Fighter is classic. The thing about Street Fighter is, when I was young, I didn't mind it being stupid. Um, but then I hit a certain age where I was like, that's a bad movie. And then I got older, I grew appreciation for how ridiculous it was and didn't care that it didn't follow the game because I, I don't give a shit. But when it comes to games, I just don't, I, I don't know, I'm bad about it. But uh, Dustin, you know, Dustin Mills, he would do an impersonation of Raw Julia in that movie and say how great his performance was. And it took me that, like, to register, like, remembering it and stuff like that. But, like, you know what? His performance was really good in that movie. And he always delivered that line. He was like, when I graced your village, it was the single most important moment of your life. For me, it was Tuesday. And you're just like, that's such a great villain line. And ever since that, I've had kind of an appreciation for the movie. Oh, he goes on. Sorry, it was on the next page. Schlockhor also says, I also watched Shrunken Heads with the Friends a while back, and we were halfway through before we figured out who Meg Foster was playing. Great review, as always. Travis writes, Super Mario Brothers is my favorite by far. I know it's got an awful reputation, but it's so much fun. I feel the same way. Uh, Peek and Boo, that thumbnail you made made, me, uh, made me laugh hard. The Untamed, I feel like you may have reviewed that one before. Either way, I'm glad you reviewed it because now it's on my need-to-watch ASAP list. I'll make my own perf card since it's, it is it is tentacles. I feel it may come in handy. The debut, although not seen, it sounds like the 1992 movie The Lover, starring Jane March and Tommy Lee K. Fay, which is based on real events. I really felt sorry for the man there. Basically a teenage French girl and a rich Chinese man and the romance. I'll leave it at that. Glad you got Freeze Me, A.K. Freezer. For me, it's the best rape revenge movie ever. You got it so right about the shame topic on it. In traditional Japanese beliefs, a woman's body is her temple. In some way, it is explained in the movie as she says, I'll be forgiven for this, right, God? Answer to the question of the week, indistinctly, I thought Silent Hill. Although I never played the game, I watched the neighbor play through. But I also have some sort of soft spot for Final Fantasy The Spirits Within after playing Final Fantasy VII back in 96. Great video as always. Be safe. Thank you. David Lawrence Graham, Mr. Park in the house. How's things, mates? I've been okay. I've been alive, making decent money, and not dying. Nick Mua, video games on the silver screen, usually a recipe for disaster. The filmmakers don't know their assholes from a hole in the ground. My favorite Charles Dance quote. The films are so enraged, um, their sacred game, the fans are so enraged the sacred game has been butchered they could scare away Mr. Romero zombies. There are also ex expectations, of course. Um, exceptions, of course. Jesus Christ, I'm dumb. Silent Hill, Christopher Gans at his best, and the film is quite faithful to the source material, or so I was told. Super Mario Brothers, a cheese fest special for sure, but I love it. Some nostalgia to go with my gray hairs. Questions. If the Great Flood came again and you could only take five movies, which one would you pick? What would I watch them on if electricity was down? Um, I'm taking my favorite 
favorites. I'm taking Day of the Dead. I'm taking Dawn of the Dead, Return of the Dead. I know people are like, but that's horrible. That's what I like. That's what I watch. I got to take something funny. I'll take Dirty Work. That's four. Let's take The Wild Bunch, number five. There we go. That's five off the top of my head of what I'm taking. Okay. Um, if you and Jeremy had to dress up for a show, what would you dress up as? Tom and Jerry, Beavis and Butthead, Bond and Money Pendy, uh, Money Penny, something else? Ooh, that's a good question. Um... Uh, I want to wear a fake mustache. Uh, maybe I'll just put on a fake mustache. Um, what would I dress up? I like to grow a real mustache. I don't know if we had to dress up as a pair of somebody's, um, Abbott Costello, maybe, I don't know. Um, what would a horse segment called Mr. Parker presents look like? I don't, I mean this, I'm not going to dress up as a horror or horror guy. I'm not going to, you know, put black makeup on or anything like this. Horror movie present. I review mostly horror movies, so it'd be exactly this. <laughs> um, Ken Coakley. I have to say that Resident Evil is my favorite movie adapted from a video game. I worked at Suncoast when the first one came out, and customers who had just seen it would ask me and my boss, who worked at the one in Monroeville Mall, for zombie movie recommendations. It's a shame that George Romero didn't get to direct it, but I appreciated the two Easter eggs referencing Day of the Dead. First, when the guy opens the door and the zombies all grab him as he tries to run away like Rhodes did. And secondly, the shot of the newspaper with the headline, The Dead Walk. See, I kind of appreciated him, but I also was very annoyed that they had bothered to have the nerve to put him in there when they didn't hire him to make the movie and asked him to write a script. So I always thought, kind of, fuck you, Resident Evil. Uh, Lee Keith, which one? I think that he was some confusion on that. Pat Lynch, Cloak and Dagger, Rye Guy, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 90, Silent Hill, Mortal Kombat, Street Fighter, Double Dragon, Street Fighter Assassins. Uh, Fist, Batman, Assault on Arkham, Halo, Forward on the Dawn, Wing Commander, Tomb Raider 1 and 2, Tomb Raider Remake. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, Mortal Kombat Annihilation, Mortal Kombat 2021, Mortal Kombat Legacy, DOA, Hitman, Prince of Persia, Tekken, first three slash five are my absolute favorites as far as that goes. And I don't know if those were games or video game adaptations. I don't know. I don't play that many games anymore. Stephen Hickey, by default, I suppose it's Silent Hill or the new Mortal Kombat as they weren't utterly awful. Although, whispers, I quite enjoyed the Sonic the Hedgehog movie when I took my son to see it. <laughs> Scott Davis, uh, Resident Evil, Sonic the Hedgehog, Silent Hill, Street Fighter. Yes, really. Peter McCain, Postal was actually not terrible as an adaptation. Jordan Bibby, Doom, Mortal Kombat, uh, Street Fighter, all the anime movies um, in Street Fighter, and Silent Hill. Edward Payson, Sonic the Hedgehog. Martel Wattel, Silent Hill, the first one, not the piece of trash sequel. Sherman Hurst, E.T. Uh, Alex, <laughs> uh, Alex Davis, Postal. Uh, Jacqueline Young, uh, Young Ginger. I like Silent Hill in the new Mortal Kombat movie. I also liked, kind of like Monster Hunter, even if it's flawed. Madeline Deering, Postal. Dave Brown, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, he posts the Texas Chainsaw Massacre uh, Wizard video game, which completely blows my mind that there is a Texas Chainsaw Massacre Atari game. Um, Peter England, Warcraft, Resident Evil Extinction, Doom. Lacey Liu, Sonic. Derek B., it's between Doom and Rampage, and it's definitely not Monster Hunter. Hayden Hall, Silent Hill. Uh, Inicio Hernandez, Mortal Kombat 2021. Mike Clark, Silent Hill. Adrian Logoria, does Angry Birds count? And Jordan P.M., why wouldn't it? Uh, Kurt Jensen, Portal, uh, Lonely Are Leo, um, Lone, Lone Larry, I don't know how to say that name, Story Mode, T101, I don't know what that means, Jeremy R, Sonic, and Detective Pikachu, lots of fun, but Mario Brothers and Double Dragon are soft spots for me, and then, um, I'm not sure what the hell this guy's talking about, so I'm going to not say it, Rebecca Reinhardt, Christmas Comes to Pac-Land, Scott Robinson, Mortal Kombat 95, um, uh, 
Joaquin Johansson, Super Mario Brothers, Dustin Mills, Rampage, but also Super Mario Brothers, Silent Hill, Mortal Kombat 95, Dead or Alive, Doom, Street Fighter. Jason Kleberg just covered this topic in my show. He posted a link. Um, Seb Godin, Rampage, Super Mario Brothers, Silent Hill. Nathan Thomas Milliner, I enjoyed The Last Tomb Raider. Cody Lee Harden, the only correct answer is Postal. Thomas Steele, Doom. It's not good, but I love it for some reason. Doom's a lot of fun. Um, Shane Glass, Rampage and Pixels. Robert Cruz, Mortal Kombat, both, new and old. Sonic the Hedgehog, Rampage, Detective Pikachu. I also have soft spots, even though they weren't great for Street Fighter. Tekken, Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time. Jason Feathers, The Wizard, starring Fred Savage. BJ, BJ Colangelo, Silent Hill, Street Fighter, Sonic, and Detective Pikachu. Stanley Isman, Silent Hill. Stephen McGovern, Street Fighter 2, Super Trailer. Uh, Barry Kowalski, um, MK Mortal Kombat 95, Bill Casanelli, Postal, Barry O'Connell, Tron, it's an adaptation of Pong, uh, Zach Hill, Sweet Home, 1989, Donald Plett, Street Fighter 2, the animated movie is King, then Mortal Kombat 95 and 2021, Postal, Dead or Alive, Justin Patrick, Super Mario Brothers, Sam Edwards, Mortal Kombat 2021, Sonic, and Detective Pikachu are all tied. Also, Rampage and Doom are fun times. Sam Edwards, oh, also, Corpse Party, James D. Coax, Silent Hill, Sam Kelly Mills, Mortal Kombat 95 is my absolute favorite. I do like the new one, too. Sonic the Hedgehog, oh, and Silent Hill. Flip this page. Tom Brunner, I'm not really a video game player, so I cannot comment on the films themselves. Not the sor- I can comment on the films themselves, not the source material. As a standalone movies, I'll go with Resident Evil or Double Dragon. Math. Matt Hudson, I haven't seen any in a really long time, but I remember the Japanese animated version of Street Fighter 2 being quite good. Corey Billings, Silent Hill is definitely the best. Jerry Cortez, Detention, 2019, Taiwan. Based on the video game of the same name, Detention takes place in 1962, Taiwan, where they are at war with mainland China. Therefore, reading prohibiting books... Prohibited books could lead to death or jail time. When two students, Wang Chung Ting and Fang Rei Shin, are trapped in the school haunted, hunted by Lantern Spectra, they must fight for their lives and find out the truth as to why they are trapped in Greenwood High School. Sounds cool. And Andre Scott, Mortal Kombat 95, Street Fighter 2, the animated movie, Tomb Raider. Um, Jason Lloyd, Sonic, Scott Herliska, um, her Doom Isn't Terrible, Robert Barry Franco's Pong. Ron Ford, can't think of one. Um, Gene Von Bonyard, Silent Hill, no competition. Scott Shermer, no such thing. Okay. Uh, Mike Mitchell, Detective Pichu or Pikachu or Final Fantasy of Spirits Within. Lee Bishop, Silent Hill. Um, I will. Um, there's a lot of good ones in there. I've always kind of enjoyed the Super Mario Brothers Mortal Kombat, Silent, uh, Street Fighter. They're not Double Dragon. They're not great, but they're enjoyable for me to watch. Jeez, um, Doom was fun. But the, the Street Fighter 2 animated movie, I remember being fucking badass. So that was a really good one, if I'm not mistaken. I still want to watch Sweet Home. And that detention movie both sound really good. So I guess we'll get into the question of the week. And the question of the week is, best killer primate movie. What is it? Is it Link? Is it Monkey Shines? Is it Shockma? Is it a Primal Rage? What is the best? Is it... Is it um, King Kong? Does King Kong count as a killer primate movie? I would say he's a monster. No King Kong stuff. Um, is it Congo? No King... Don't include King Kong. Um, is it Congo? Let me know. Best killer primate movie. Um, or Great Ape. Whatever. What all those things. They're going on the same same umbrella, alright? Uh, yeah. Alright, guys. Let's get into this update. First is the Homegrown Whores Volume 1 box set with Fatal Exam, Beyond Dreams Door, and Winter Beast. Very cool. I actually got to moderate a commentary on Beyond Dream Store with the lead actor. It was very fun. Uh, yeah, Winter Beast is a super cool movie. Enjoyable stop motion stuff. You haven't seen that one. Beyond Dream Store. I interviewed the director on here as, as well, Jay Wolfel. Very nice guy. 
and I can't wait to pop this in. Check all the special features on here. Tons of stuff on here. So, very cool. Tons of special features on here. It was an honor to do something for uh, Vendrigo Syndrome. And at least I can check that off the bucket list, right? So, Fatal Exam is one I have not seen, not familiar with. Looks like fun. I've heard the title before, but, you know, with all those Fatals and all those 80s horror movies, it's kind of hard to keep track, right? So, yeah. Homegrown Horrors. Awesome. I hope they keep these up. It kind of reminds me of the uh, American Horror Project that Arrow had, which I loved. So, yeah. Then we have The Cellar by Kevin Tenney. This is the director's cut in here. I'd lo I, I love to rewatch this one. I covered this for VHS Voyage. It was a childhood favorite of mine, to be honest. I used to watch this movie all the time. It was PG-13. I wonder what's missing on the director's cut. Whether there's more Patrick Kilpatrick or not. But this is a cool, fun movie. I would recommend checking that one out if you guys have not seen it. Especially if you guys are Kevin Tenney fans. He did Night of the Demons and Witchboard and a slew of other films. All-American Murder from 1991. This movie's ridiculous. Um, it turns into a slasher in the final act. Christopher Walken is a detective. He's very funny in it. Um, yeah, that's a crazy scene on the back there. But uh, uh, Walken is hilarious in it. It's a pretty bizarre movie. Um, I'm happy to see it on Blu-ray. Very shocked. Then we have Summer Camp Girls. They're waiting for you, apparently. So, yeah. Um, that's a great back on there. Just the underwear and hay. Um, so, yeah. Um, this is a hardcore film. Not seen it, um, but I do the whole entire yearly package for Vinegar Syndrome, get it all. Then we have an EGFA here. We have Love After Death, a shock thriller of lust and terror. Very cool. Like what they're doing too, although I don't always get to watch all their movies. It appears there's a second feature on here, The Good, The Bad, and The Beautiful. All got slip covers, of course. Then we have Jungle Trap plus Run Coyote Run. I think these got released on VHS at one point. This is for Magfa as well, but they're out of print, so glad to finally get them on Blu-ray. Although I think they're probably VHS. And we have Smile. This is from Fun City, I believe. This is the third release they've done. Not, I don't know much about this, but... I'm going to get all the stuff that Vinegar Syndrome is involved with. Big fan of the company, and they usually put out lots of good stuff. Altered Innocence Volume 1. I believe these are a, a bunch of shorts on here. Should be interesting. I love what Altered Cinema is actually doing. Altered Innocence, I mean. They put out a lot of cool stuff here. So, uh, yeah, I guess this is a bunch of coming-of-age stuff. Um, they put out Luz and uh, Knife Plus Heart and uh, um, Encounters of the Unknown, which are all really good, interesting films. And then last is not a Vinegar Syndrome title. It is Monolith Monsters, a universal horror film from Screen Factory. Not seen this one, but I love my 50s sci-fi. So, yeah. So that's the end of the update. We're going to hop back to the video. All right, guys. Thank you very much for watching. And as always, have a good one. Thanks.